Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. I am your host, Dave Wakeman. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered with the world's most comprehensive refund protection product. To find out how you and your organization can partner with Booking Protect to deliver a world-class customer service experience, more customization in their purchases, and for you and your organization, create a brand new stream of revenue, visit www.bookingprotect.com. Once again, that's www.bookingprotect.com, the global leaders in refund protection. My guest today is a guy that you've heard on the podcast before, but he is in the middle of releasing a seven-part series about marketing, selling, strategy, and demand centered on tickets and the live experience. So it's Mike Guffrey. Um, I wanted to have Mike on because he has been putting out this seven-part series over the last, um, the first two have gone live as before the podcast was recorded, and then the third one will be dropping uh, tomorrow morning, and I'm going to drop this on Tuesday night, so Wednesday morning, you'll see the third part. And it's a really interesting thing that he's done. He's pulled together a lot of different ideas, um, from demand to sales to pricing to marketing, um, figuring out the right solution and the right problem to solve for um, secondary market sales policies, content marketing, uh, digital marketing, uh, scarcity, um, revenue generation, base building, really a lot of stuff. And I wanted to have Mike on because I wanted to really draw your attention to his series because I think that it provides you a really, really high-level overview of some of the challenges and opportunities that exist in the world of tickets. Also, because we play with some of the same tools and some of the same ideas, but coming at it from a different angle, it was a really interesting opportunity to explore some of the ideas that um, I like and get a different perspective on them. Some of the things I think that are important, and again, get a different perspective on them, but also to learn where my thinking is lacking. So anytime I get a chance to talk tickets with Mike Guffrey, it's really great for me. I was grateful to have the chance to have a conversation that I could share with you. And it really just lined up very well that he was putting out his series. So here's my conversation with Mike Guffrey on the business of fun. All right. I'm welcoming back Mike Guffrey to the business of fun podcast. Mike, you have dropped or are in the process of dropping a seven part series. That's, um, I would say just what people in tickets need. So what's happening besides uh, no. dropping bombs? <laughs> Nothing at all. We're uh, about to head out to Maine for our, our happy place. I know we talked about that before. Me and the family go out there two or three times a year. So before we went out, just trying to get some content out there and, and talk tickets. You know, it's, uh, I know you're a big fan of that, and I am too, and love discussing it. So appreciate you having me back on. Of course, of course. Well, where do we even start? Because when you put seven parts out there, that's a lot, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where to start. I mean, you know, I, I've never taken on something as ambitious as this. Um, so let's start with demand, because wasn't the first part was all about um, – well, what was the, the first part? Describe the first part because as, as, as we're talking, you just put out the first two parts. Can you tell everybody what those first two parts focus on and what the kind of theme of the overall piece is? Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. I, well, what I tried to do was put the, the articles not necessarily in order of importance but um, almost if you're building out a strategy for a, 
a season, you know, you know, obviously the seasons for different teams, um, don't match up fiscally in the fiscal year. So just trying to look at it, if you were going to start out, what would be the most important in terms of, you know, starting early and then needing those solutions before getting to the next solutions. And so the first one we did, um, scarcity and pricing strategy, and that was, to simplify it, at least to start off on the description, is really that we have too many tickets available to start the season. Um, and then we have too many as we continue into the season. And that's why we're having a lot of problems moving tickets, which kind of sounds silly because if you have too many, how are you, you know, of course you're having trouble moving them, but it's not necessarily a snowball effect. It's that because of the scarcity, everybody's waiting to buy and it just continues to create more scarcity. And then the second one we dropped was uh, stop creating solutions for the wrong problems. And a lot of that I put in the article was more, um, I don't think a lot of the ideas that we have are bad. I just think some of them are for the wrong problems. They're not bad solutions in terms of picking up some market share. They're just not solving problems that we have out there. And then we kind of move into content. Uh, you'll see um, marketing for resale strategy and then eventually into some non-revenue shared and some real world examples so yeah the, the one uh, and i really like the idea of solving the wrong problem with the right solution mm -hmm. because you know one of the key skills or one of the key things that i bring uh, or i like to think i bring to people is the idea of helping them clarify what the real problem is and i know that when i do look at the world of tickets or in the, be that in sports or concerts or any of these places. That's where I try to find, uh, I try to start my conversation with myself is, is like, what's the root cause of this? Because mm -hmm. I know right now, like, you know, I, I goof on, I goof on a lot. Let, let me be honest. Um, but part of it is because, you know, we have a, we have a attendance problem, right? That, that's clear as day. And mm -hmm. so the only maneuver, the only tools that everybody seems to have or want to use is discounts, discounts and giveaways. Right. And those are discounts, you know, are awful. I mean, you know, I'm not going to belabor that. I've belabored it probably more than anybody except for Troy Kirby um, around. I mean, you know, I think that like we would be the two people you'd hold up as being like discounts destroyed. Discounts are awful. You're an idiot if you discount. Right. Well, I think we can, we've covered all those. Um, but what it speaks to me and this highlights your idea is it's not you're not looking at the problem the right way because if you're having the discount and you're only able to get people on giveaways and like special occasions and doing all these things, it's a demand problem, right? Mm -hmm. And a demand problem means it's a marketing problem. A marketing mm -hmm. problem means that you have there's a breakdown somewhere in like the probably the three essential questions that I think there are, which is what's the value we offer? Who is the buyer that's going to be paying for this or willing to pay for this? And how do you reach them? Um, sure. You know, and I, what I like about the, the series, because I've seen all seven parts, um, spoiler alert, it's awesome, read it, um, <laughs> <laughs> is, is that you do cover it. Like, you know, you do dig in. Like the, the mm -hmm. marketing is a significant challenge. And I want to ask you about, you know, some of the ways – beginning with a strategy, like high-level strategy, how we can start working on solving that marketing problem? I think, I mean, that's a, a good question. You brought up a good point where you say we have a demand problem, which is related to marketing, and you could 
kind of take a look at it and move backwards, you know, solving the problem from looking where we have it and moving backwards and seeing, okay, which steps are we missing? And the irony is we have a demand problem for tickets, but we don't have a demand problem in sports. And I'll be, uh, when we're recording this, I've, uh, as you mentioned, I've put two out. The third one's coming tomorrow, which will be you know, a few weeks ago <laughs> as people are listening to this. No, this but, is going to go up. This is going to go up today. So you'll, they'll be oh. able to get, they'll be able to read the third part probably at the same time they're listening to this. Perfect. I did not know that. Well, <laughs> so that's awesome. This is so, a nice thing. I, I'm, I'm here for you, Mike. I appreciate that. So then everyone ignore what I just said tomorrow. Uh, article three comes out and, and it's about content is your friend and, and the demand. And you put it in fantastically is we have a demand problem, but that's really a marketing problem. And so I, it's, it's a research piece that I did, not too in-depth, but a lot of data in there. Basically, th- there is demand. You know, There's a lot of misconceptions about millennials or Generation Z that they're not interested in sports. They're not interested in attending live events. <clears throat> and I have data in there that says that's completely wrong. You know, this generation spends a ton more on experiences I was than say, doesn't the data say exactly the opposite? It's not, it, they actually have more. Mm-hmm. At 100%. They have tons more. They spend more on experiences and they engage more, including in sports. So I have some data in there from McKinsey. It's not, you know, it wasn't a team or a, a league on, with their own um, or even a, you know, a marketer or a consultant with their own. ideology behind it. It was a McKinsey research that says they're just as interested in sports as the previous generation, you know, maybe a little bit less overall, but sport by sport, it's about the same. And ironically, everybody says that MLB is dying and they say this every year for the past 10 years, but with millennials and generation Z, they are um, MLB second behind the NFL for professional sports. College obviously picks up because there's a lot of college students, but professional sports, MLB among, you know, the younger generations is the most important and, or is the second most viewed, but they're all, they're also 10 times more engaged because of the, the ability to online. We were joking before we hopped on this, that, you know, we went to college before the internet and kind of while it was growing, um, this generation has a completely different, um, way to engage in sports and the way to consume the content and I, I feel we're missing that. And so that's where the demand, it is there. It is a marketing issue. And it's not like we're not doing digital. We're just not understanding how to target or how to use the tools available to turn these fans into paying customers right. because and, they want that. And to me, it seems like it's – well, I mean – I labeled it a marketing problem at the start, but it's also a fundamental misunderstanding of two ideas, I think. And I'll be curious to hear your opinion about this because number one is something I talk about pretty regularly. And anybody that listens here or reads any of the stuff or even has heard me speak at like conferences and stuff is storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. And the second one is the call to action and, Mm -hmm. and making sure that your call to action is clear concise, easily understood, and specific. And I think sure. those two things are, you know, they're maybe not at the root of the marketing thing because the marketing problem is pretty robust, right? Because they, I, and let's be a second part of this question, I'm asking you a lot, um, is that for too long, so much of the demand and awareness and marketing lift has been generated through partners, 
Uh, mm-hmm. Either they're apparel partners, television partners, um, promotional partners, whatever it is. So that in a lot of ways, the advertising and marketing efforts of the teams, it, it hasn't kept up. It's just not where it needs to be. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, so like, I guess number one is, you know, what do you think? Uh, do you, what do you think about the call to action and storytelling component? But then number two, you know, is it a weakness that's built off of just like lack of need? It's it's 100 percent. I mean, I think that's been a two decade long problem. And I'll I'll go backwards on there of the um, you haven't not needing to do it because of the TV contracts. But a lot of that gets focused on, Okay, we're making a ton of money off these TV contracts. We don't care about ticketing. And I kind of find that to be some truth to that, but some not, because I think that it was misunderstood from the 80s and 90s and even into the into the new millennium um, that TV was actually driving attendance. I have some data in there as well um, that the way I put it is people are if someone was paying you to advertise your product, basically. And so then you combine that with the Internet and making online sales possible. And you kind of had this whirlwind of um, marketing and innovation and technology that was helping sell tickets that people really didn't realize because we've always sold tickets. But it was always it was always hard. You look at people will say, okay, well, in 1973, there was only an average of 7,000 people at the game. And it's like, well, they had to actually walk to a box office to buy tickets. And that goes back to my first point about scarcity when you if you buy right away and the internet provided us the ability to do that and the ability to attack these on-demand times then you can move tickets but i I agree that there's been a a, i guess i don't want to call it laziness because i don't think um people are lazy when it comes to you trying to move tickets at all it's it's a very hard working i think they're the opposite of lazy i think that Mm -hmm. they they work so hard but it goes back to to the idea of you know, not solving the right problem. Right. And so, yeah, I, I, it's almost like people are looking at it saying, okay, it was a, you know, we, we don't really care. Ownership doesn't care. And I, I, I disagree. I think everybody cares who nobody sits down and says, I want to make less money because I'm making a lot of money over here. Um, I think we've just got away functionally for two or three decades of not understanding. And now with fantasy football, with gambling, with, uh, Twitter, with Facebook, with all this engagement and streaming, and now everyone can take the games with them if they want to. We have a lot of uh, ability to engage with these customers, and and we're honestly we're just we're missing that, and so um, we have a huge opportunity. And and the the call to action you mentioned before, I think that goes back to the strategy of you know combining or making a more global strategy, and so. One of the issues with sports teams, and I know I've seen it um, you know, a lot discussed, in, especially in the college, where you have the one side donations are always kind of arguing with the ticket sales or they're not aligned. Um, you see that from a strategic standpoint with sports business a lot. And we have a very de- we have a lot of depth in our ability to market and sell nowadays. You have the secondary market, you have brokers, you have Um, your own sales group, you have premium seating, you have sponsorships, you have broadcasting rights. Now you have social media. And I think the call to action problem is that we're not all aligned in these strategies. You'll have a, you know, ticketing someone making a decision to sell to a couple brokers or whatever that strategy is. And then you'll have the call to action on the social media there, or, or even if there is one, but it won't be aligned with 
the same strategic vision of how to move tickets. And so you're almost battling and fighting each other and it's hurting the content part of, of pushing, you know, maybe not just the narrative, but the call to action or whatever you want to call it. We're not aligned in a global strategy across the board. And I think that's killing our content. Yeah. I, I agree with that because if you, you know, if you're a regular listener, then you've probably heard the conversation I had with Patrick Ryan. I know mm-hmm. you, you've heard it because we talked about it, but yep. that's something that he also highlighted in the episode when we, that we, where we had our conversation was that the thing is, is that the pricing strategy, the marketing strategy, all of the, everything that you're doing as a team needs to have a holistic, a global approach to it. Right. You know, the, you can't throw the things together piecemeal and which mm-hmm. seems logical to me. Right. And, if anything, you know, I could be in danger of always seeing things from like the 50,000 foot uh, level, um, sure. even though I do a pretty good job of getting back down into the tactics a lot. Um, but it, it just seems that there's the siloed approach is that seems to dominate is creating a lot of unintended consequences, right? Which mm-hmm. is kind of highlighted by what you're, you know, what you've written, you know, for for everybody over these, these seven articles, um, you know, you're focusing on the wrong solutions. Your resale policies are, um, you know, and sometimes they're consistent and they're well thought out. Other places they're completely like throw some spaghetti at the wall, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your pricing is all over the place, right? Like you're, right. Uh, I mean, I, I can't count, I, I lost count of how many people have told me, oh, we don't price trying to be competitive with brokers when I go, you're lying to me. Um, you know, and that happens a lot or you, you, so you you start out there and then you realize that like, just because a broker is putting a a ticket up there at a extremely inflated price, um, it doesn't mean people are buying at that price. And Mm -hmm. the truth is, I know as much data as people are sharing, they're not really always sharing the accurate price point data that they're getting because it's not in anybody's best interest to say, Oh, these tickets sold for like five bucks the same way. It's not in anybody's best, the the broker's best interest or the platform like StubHub or vivid or any of those best interests to tell you, Oh yeah, these premium seats behind the home plate that are four dollars $400 space value are selling for $700 in these instances mm-hmm. or 800 bucks. So you're you got to understand there's a certain amount of fudging on the pricing, right? Sure. And so then your sales process is screwed up because you've only got certain buttons that you're either able to or willing to push, right? And so the mm-hmm. demand's all broken. It's like this whole thing. How do you, as somebody who has been both on both the primary side and the secondary side, you know, much, much like me, um, how would you, if you were in control today, and you, if somebody asked you to redesign the demand generation process, where would you start to try to take a global viewpoint? I think it's honestly, that's probably the most important question we have in, in ticketing today. And the, I'm getting better at interviewing, Mike. Come yeah. on. <laughs> but it is. It's the, the first part is, is simple. Is we, we touched on it where you have to have this global strategy. And so the generic answer is, but on top of that, you have to have a global strategy per team. And it is one of the frustrating things, and I touch on it in a few of the different articles, is that we've become a copycat industry and I can tell you right now, I've worked for, when I was at the Penguins, I was there, uh, I started the year after Lemieux retired, 
And then I was there through bankruptcy and we had the worst team in the league for three years. And I was there when the ping pong ball came in Sydney Crosby's favor or in our favor to draft Crosby. And then we got a new arena. Um, I, I was at American Airlines Center in the two worst, um, I guess, seasons in the building's history. They had been very successful teams and neither made the playoffs my first year there. The next year they bounced back and made the playoffs. And, um, and then I was on the secondary side. And what you're noticing is that there's no way you can compare even with one team, say taken in three year chunks, because obviously it's hard to change your strategy every year, but you can't strategize the same for these different situations and whether it's team performance whether it's market size or market share, whether it's competition in the market, or whether it's New York versus Pittsburgh, which, you know, Pittsburgh was successful when I was there. We, we won a Stanley Cup and we had a new building on the horizon, but we still couldn't touch the Rangers uh, or Madison Square Garden prices. Um, we didn't get the same amount of concerts that, that they got. And so, you know, the, the premium seating prices was different. So the first thing you have to sit down and just realize that you can't go and be part of the copycat industry. Each strategy has to be different. And then when you drill down, you, you have to align your, your strategy of whether it's brokers, whether it's selling online yourself, whether it's your pricing to season ticket holders. Um, it has to be aligned and you have to be consistent. And that's where we're missing it. Um, <clears throat> one of the things you see is you see well, and I, I touch on the different um, ways you can manage your broker strategy. The first thing you need to do is allow your season ticket holders to resell without being upset that they might make a few bucks. That is the biggest problem in the industry right now because every time we see a resale, it's like that doesn't have to be a broker. You have to understand that. You have to build that into your strategy because nobody wants to go to 43 hockey games and nobody wants to go to 81 baseball games, but you do have fans willing to pay. And this even goes into the playoffs where you're not going to get someone who's, you know, has a family of four that even if they make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, they're, they're not happy writing you a $12,000 check. They want to offset some of those costs. It doesn't mean they're making money across the board. They're out of pocket still might be eight grand. They've just recouped some of that. And so you need to set your pricing strategy based off that cost offset and then managing it yourself with creating that lack of scarcity. So you don't go and eventually discount like you talked about and absolutely just destroy the market where now your season ticket orders can't even offset costs. <laughs> and so it's not something that can be fixed in a year, but you need to build up your base and you need to have that strategy so you can effectively work with brokers and you can effectively work with your season ticket holders and you can develop a secondary strategy, even if that's posting yourself. But until you do that, it's never going to work out because you're either going to overprice your season ticket holders who are going to get mad because they can't cost offset and then they see everybody buying tickets for 10 bucks. Now they're really pissed. Um, or you can't effectively work with, with a broker strategy then because now the market is all over the place. So that is where you need to start. You need to make your best customers happy, affordable, and realize that you can make up that difference somewhere else. And don't have FOMO. It's okay that they made money back because 99% of them didn't profit. They just made more. They just offset their costs a little bit. They didn't profit on their whole spend, which is what gets missed. Yeah, no, it, it's great. And you talked about um, something that I'm curious about and I want to ask you about. Uh, 
I'm not sure. We, I don't think we've ever talked about what I'm going to ask you, which is mm-hmm. you talked about building a customer base, right? Mm-hmm. And then you've talked about content marketing here, and you've talked about having a global strategy. And mm-hmm. I know that I beat the drum quite often for using, building, and you building, creating, and using assets that you own and mm-hmm. that you control. Um, I know that baseball has BAM. They have a technology platform of their very own. Mm-hmm. I know that everybody says that they have digital content and email marketing strategies and all these things. Mm-hmm. Yet I haven't seen anybody do any, any that I would call good. Um, what kind of advice, from your point of view, because I know this was a big part of the thing you did in this in with the AAC and with Ticket City, was you know how do you use the digital assets, digital assets that you own even specifically, you know to cult to build a base of customers, right? Because I think that's one of the things that's often missed is, is like, like you keep going to the same pe- group of people that don't want to hear from you, right? Mm-hmm. And instead of building something where people do want to are willing to talk to you and will engage with you, and they have an incentive to listen to you, right? You know, mm-hmm. do you have any, you know, how do you approach that? Cause that, I you think know, it would be very helpful for people. That's a, I mean, that's, it's <laughs> sadly, it can be easily done. Um, but I, I touch on it a little bit and that's where you need to, to go off topic just slightly where you need to manage your secondary market strategy. And you need to realize that the, if you realize the secondary market is handling a ton of the, we'll call it the pay-per-click SEO ticket marketing for you. Um, at no cost to you. They're spending hundreds of millions of dollars to attack those online profiles to sell tickets. Um, If you work with them, then you can recoup some of that data and try to upsell or they can help with that. But that being said, it is in your best interest to build out content that people interact with because the secondary, the more profiles are built out, the better the marketing is for the secondary to sell tickets. And understand that the secondary can be your digital marketing. Your, well, let me rephrase that. It can be your retail digital marketing arm. Retail meaning just general yeah. ticket sales. And so if you're building out content, it needs to be relevant and everyone needs to understand that it's for – it doesn't have to be a, a moneymaker. It doesn't have to be a, you know, a back ROI immediately. Um, it just needs to be content because people crave that, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Facebook, it needs to be relevant. It needs to be interesting. It needs to be unique and your fans want that and consistent. Correct. You can't just throw it out there, but it doesn't have to be a sales pitch every time. It doesn't have to be sponsored. It can just be content. And the more you're putting out there that the more people are interacting with, the better online profile you're getting for people to move tickets or for secondary sites to market tickets. I mean, I'm not going to say what we spend at Ticket City um, every month, but I can tell you it would surprise everyone. And we were, at the time, maybe the sixth or seventh biggest. I don't even want to know what StubHub and Vivid spend on this digital marketing. And what they're doing is they're spending targeting based on what you know Google and Facebook say are higher intent purchase or higher likely to, to purchase. And it's not just pay-per-click it's also display advertising it's retargeting um it's re you know they can identify if they've bought before i mentioned this in the article that if someone bought the nhl team and you're an nfl team the secondary sites will retarget to them as their repeat customers even though they're not repeat to you so the more data you have out there the more they're interacting with your brand 
the better data profiling we're getting. So content is is huge, and we could probably talk for hours on ways to do that. But I mean, it's sports. Everybody. Well, I'm gonna, loves I'll, I'll even throw a challenge down here too, because I know that I I was just telling somebody that uh, a colleague of mine that on uh, this afternoon that I have a list of things that uh, of different ways that you can deliver content that has now grown to about 130 different mm-hmm. ways that you can deliver content. Uh, and I feel that all too often people get trapped in this mindset that there is a scarcity of ways that they can deliver content. And mm-hmm. I want to dis, uh, disprove that idea as quickly as I possibly can. Um, sure. If somebody wants that list, I will take a photo of it and I will send it to them so they can see it. Um, but mm-hmm. you got to email me for, you know, email, sign up for my, <laughs> Dave, DaveWakeman.com. And I'll send that to you. Because I want to sure. see if people are really responding to this and if they really are saying that they are struggling because they only are limited in the number of ways that they can deliver content, which I know is untrue. Mm-hmm. Because I haven't yeah. done all 130 of them. I've just thought up 130. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's that's the truth, though. And the benefit is of the branding aspect of sports is that we're lucky because we have recognizable brands just from being a sports team or a venue or a um, you know an act that comes through for a, a concert or event. And so we have natural branding to go along with some of the content. I, I mentioned in one of the articles that the NHL hired a girl who she just started a Twitter feed where she would just do gifts of goals that she could, you know, if it was, I don't know, I'm, I'm assuming she was streaming the games and it was pretty much almost every game, every night she was in real time within a minute or so after a goal, she would put it on Twitter and they actually hired her to bring her 100,000 followers over and to do that. That's great content. That's relevant content. Um, and if you start doing content like timely, that. Timely, even. I mean, timely, you're catching people and, right away. Right. Who doesn't love highlights if you're a hockey fan? You want to see the goals. I'm a huge hockey fan, so I followed her. I, I just want to see fights. Yeah, just you did. The fights might be on there, too. <laughs> but, that, I mean, that's relevant content. And <laughs> now I'm just busting. Pop- <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should do a, our own gif of fights a minute after they they happen but i mean there's there's a lot of platforms that are free um there's a lot that you can you know brand to put out there and and people are interacting and so the more you do and the more it's unique and the more it's that fans want to um kind of engage with and the way i would put it is look at what teams are doing and i find this ironic that after two decades of the internet gambling is starting to take off and all of a sudden all these venues are like oh we need to engage with these people it's like come on we had two decades of people that wanted to engage you know gambling is is great for the the teams and it keeps people interested but that's nothing more in theory the the way we're handling it than content just like fantasy it's another sugar high right and it'll work for a while while, but it's not something that you've had an intentional contribution to right Right. But the way they're handling it now is the way we should have been handling digital content for two decades. You know, we should be embracing it. The fantasy football, the just the various ways that that folks are interacting. I think I have a statistic that um, it's something like you're almost 70 percent more likely um, to use Twitter if you're uh, to enhance watching a game. Um, And so you have. 60% 60% of people that are watching a game or 70% are more likely to interact with this platform. And if you're not really doing a lot, um, 
than you know engaging on Twitter with content that people want other than just, hey, this happened, this game, but really relevant long-term content, you can, uh, I mean, you can use that in the similar way that you want to use gambling, which I think the difference is with gambling, people see an immediate ROI, so it changes their mindset. Sure. And let me, but let me point out a different number, and I believe, I might have the number exactly wrong, but it, the, no matter what, if, I, if, I ha, if I'm off a little bit on it, the number's still huge. Um, mm-hmm. So I had Stephen Glicken on, I don't know if you know Stephen, but he's uh, started this thing called Project Admission. And mm-hmm. he talked about the opportunity in global tickets of unsold seats now, I think he said 57 billion. Um, it might have been 20, there's somewhere in 27, maybe 27 billion is the size of the global industry. I think it was 56 or $57 billion. Um, mm-hmm. That's way more than like gambling will ever bring in. So the thing mm-hmm. is, is like by creating content, um, you know, and telling the story better, focusing on some of these like really common sense, like straightforward idea, sales and marketing and branding tools, Mm-hmm. The return on investment would be tremendous, right? I mean, sure. I'll point to another example, right? And, and I'll be here. I'm curious. I don't know if you've heard Jake, Jacob Lawson, who's from mm-hmm. FC Copenhagen, when he was on, but he was talking about using digital tools. And I and I know you have a, a tremendous background and, and have used these things to great effect. But he was talking about some campaigns that he did with FC Copenhagen. And where, like, for ticket sales, they would return for every dollar he spent on Facebook ads, which returned 10. Right, which is great. Like you know, if you somebody can get you that, you should just run and just give them wide open. Do it, but on mm-hmm. merchandise, it was seventeen to one. You know, so like some of this stuff that you're describing has not just like a little bit of ROI behind it. It's like for a minimal investment, you're talking about exponential growth. Sure. Um, you know, and from your point of view, especially on the ticket selling side, you know, mm-hmm. what kind of action steps can we give people to help them put some meat on the bones to this idea? Uh, you know, some of the things that we're talking about, about generating demand, building content, um, targeting people effectively. Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing is to understand the data. Um, one of the misconceptions you see a lot in, in sports when it or in event ticketing when it comes to ticket sales is that, you know, we look a lot at demographic data. We pull these lists or we do lookalike audiences. And a lot of it is based off of demographic data. And so you're not really getting a snapshot. It's why Google makes so much money. Is Facebook makes so much money. Um, it's effective to understand that an online profile is a lot more of a, um, you know, potential customer spend or interest than uh, just your demographic, how much money you make if you have a family. I mean, of course, if someone makes you know, twice as much as someone else, they're more likely to be a, a customer, but it's not as much as you would think. Just like if someone has a family, they're more likely to buy a family pack than someone that doesn't. Well, of course, but they're actually really not that, that's not that good of a lead. You don't know if they're a potential customer or not. They're just more likely to buy a family pack than someone else. That doesn't make that a, a great data point. It's just comparing the two. And so when you look at a lot of the content, um, if you're going to do the call to actions like you said, or if, if you're looking for the direct ROI, the ticketing is a little bit more difficult um, unless you're going to spend the money to do the really good targeting. Um, it makes sense that the merchandise is more of an ROI. I think you have a little bit of a broader scope. You also have a little bit more of a, or a lot more of a, you, you can target just generally on Facebook because people from out of state that are fans that might've lived there might buy something. Um, there's a little bit more natural growth there. 
but you have to understand the data and you have to uh, target effectively. Just blanketly putting ads on Facebook that say we have tickets for tonight's game um, or you putting it to everybody who liked your page, it's not an effective use of you know, those dollars where the ROI comes through. And that's where you kind of blend in with the secondary sites. And so you need to work with these, um, I guess, Facebook's a little bit different. You know, Google has more of a bidding um, aspect to it, but it need, you, you need to use the data more effectively. And a lot of what I've seen is more of that generic, hey, buy tickets type of um, outlet. And I don't think that's effective. I think kind of managing the content and getting engagement first and building up those data profiles so you can pitch a, a real product to an interest instead of a demographic data point is really what we're missing. And, and, and I want to put a little bit more meat on this. And I'm going to ask you this question to mm-hmm. maybe sound like a dumbass, but I know the answer already. Um, but that's okay because maybe other people don't. When you're talking about using leading content in a way that, that you can kind of get engagement and then mm-hmm. you can kind of compartmentalize people out, mm-hmm. you're, you're talking about tagging people, right? Well, it, it could be tagging. It could be just general online. Um, you know, if someone has, I mean, Google and Facebook, yes, it's in general, it's tagging people. <laughs> um, but there are other ways that they drive up some data points too. But it's really that combined profiling. Yeah, no. And, and, I, and I just wanted to highlight that because I mm-hmm. guess what concerns me is that everybody throws around the term big data, mm-hmm. right? And it's a great term. It, it sounds awesome, right? And there's a great deal of promise and opportunity when if you can use data correctly. The right. challenge is, is that it's very difficult to use data well. And it's not because people aren't smart enough to do it. It's just because it's without some sort of filter. Mm-hmm. It is very right. difficult to know if what you're doing is the right action or an un, a wise action or an unwise action. If the people you're targeting if it makes sense or doesn't make sense, right? And so mm-hmm. – I, the, the point I'm trying to make is, you know, and this is the same thing. It doesn't matter if it's digital content, if it's regular marketing, sales, whatever, is the you'll be more effective the better you can focus your efforts. Mm-hmm. And Correct. I, and, I, and, and that's the point I'm trying to lead people to. It's mm-hmm. that, you know, that, sure, there, you, if you had no data and you all of a sudden got some data and you just blanketed it, you're better off than you were before you had no data. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, because you can make a better decision about what to do or not to do. But right. the big key in using all this data effectively, at least from my point of view, is add as much layer and as many layers and as much context to it as possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, to say that my education on this topic has uh, hyper growth, it would be an understatement because I've had the opportunity over the last couple months to work with a company called Activity Stream, based, uh, you know, out of Europe. Um, mm-hmm. And they're an AI tool that, you know, helps like draw that stuff out. And so I've learned more about layering and targeting and tagging and, you know, um, segmenting and everything than I ever thought possible. Right. And, sure. it, and it's and it's really an important point that like these tools that like Facebook offers or Google offers, um, hopefully, you know, are built into most systems now and most uh, the tools that you're going to use to reach your audience are only as effective as you are. They're only as effective as you are willing to be creative in using them. And by creative, mm-hmm. I mean 
you're taking a chance, right? And this is right. like the famous question. I probably asked you this before the last time you were on the podcast, which is like, not don't let the data drive your make the decisions for you. You use the data to test the hypothesis for you. Mm-hmm. At least that's my point of view. I don't know about yours. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's you know we could go back and forth, and I think it boils down to a similar concept, right? What you're trying to get at, because my example before, if you say well, you're saying any data, at some point, if you have no data and you have data, it's it's good, (laughs) right? And so, yes, if I'm sending an email to someone who doesn't have kids, and I say, do you want to join the fan club? That's silly. So if I send, you know, I I talked about it earlier, the, you know, family versus non-family, that's a good data point in terms of, yes, you should market a family plan to someone who has a family versus not. That's pretty simple. But the digital profiling can take it a deep further, meaning what if I like the f- Facebook page of the team that's targeting me? What if I've interacted with when their community pages? What if I've you know, searched, what if I'm searching for museum, children's museums in the area? What if I'm doing all these kid activity types of things? Or, I mean, for me, my, my kid, he's, he's really active, so we're always signing up for different groups just to tr- or different sports just to try them out. That data points are all built in, and I would say, okay, this is a guy you really want to target for a family plan for sports because they're all over the board in sports and they like your page and they're a fan of your team and they've been to your games. That's a much deeper data set than just he has kids, um, which is where some of the data problems we've had in sports, because we don't have those digital aspects, because the secondary handles the retail side, is we are just making a better decision of, well, he has a family, so you know he should get that family plan marketing versus someone who's not, which is which is really better, just a guess. It's still a guess, right? Yeah. It's just a better guess. It's more educated. I mean, someone without kids isn't going to buy a family plan. So if you know that, that's a smart, you know, or buy yeah. the kids club or something like that. And so there's many examples we can use from that, but that's how we need to build those out, and that's where we're not using the infrastructure correctly because we're posting all this. Um, Maybe it's generic content, but if all these folks are interacting with the page and it's about the kids club or it's about the community or it's about X, Y, and Z factors, how are we then retargeting and remarketing to those for our products that are not just retail, aka secondary, um, or even I guess primary does quite a bit of that now too, but it's more the individual tickets. So that's why we're having a hard time growing these these larger plans of these specific, because we're not finding the real customers in there. We're not getting the real engagement. Everything's work, you know, kind of backwards where, Hey, we have these demographic data. This guy looks like he's bought three games. He has money, which that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it just means he's better than someone who didn't buy any games. Oh yes. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's true. It happens to me all the time because I only, I take my son to capitals games about, I think we have five games this year and I will always get follow-up emails after the fact that are completely lacking in context or awareness of who I am. And mm-hmm. it's frustrating because I would probably, there, there probably is a package that would fit me. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, right. And it's just a missed opportunity because then I'm just frustrated right. about, you know, about the lack of, um, you know, depth to their knowledge because it's not mm-hmm. like, I mean, I'm not hiding anything. Right. I'm like, I'm, you, I'm buying the tickets, you know, there's like always like there's a time, you know, it's like always a weekend or like an afternoon game at 90% of the time. 
Um, it's two tickets. Like, you know, there's like, you're going to see like, if you, I know you can coordinate with my social media feed. So you'll see pictures of me and my son at the game, right? Mm-hmm. Like all this stuff can be pulled. Like these are all data points that can be pulled together. that can give you a richer um, mm-hmm. reflection of me, right? So if you knew right. us, like, hey, I know you bring your kid to the to the games, right? And it mm-hmm. looks like you guys come five or six times a, a season. Have you ever thought thought about a mini pack? You right. Know, like we have like a we have a create your own mini pack or something, and it would be really relevant. And I probably buy it, right? And they mm-hmm. and they would capture all that revenue. Sure. And, and I and, and and I belabor this because mm-hmm. what I sort of at the 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 core of what I do, right, is helping people understand how to create. And capture opportunities, mm-hmm. and we, you know, have just gone through a pretty detailed listing of the ways that you need to can look at, should look at, and think about data, right? And digital marketing in a way that you can create a richer port, a richer portrait of your customer base. Mm-hmm. This allows you to make better guesses about what's going to be reflective and meaningful to that audience, right? Um, it's like I say very often is like people will give you everything you need to know to sell them something if you just ask. Right. And, you know, and I want to make that point because these are missed opportunities. These are opportunities mm-hmm. that are just, they're just they're staring you down mm-hmm. and you need to take advantage of them. Yeah. And I think that's, that's an interesting point because, you know, in fairness, we've gotten better, right? When you know, the uh, data collection with the mobile um, ticketing and you know trying to figure out if you're transferring tickets you you pick up on that data and that's valuable don't get me wrong I mean I would never say that's not one of the sidetracking here ironies I find in sports is it's so emotional based I, I saw something the other day where people were complaining about I think Ticketmaster uh, AXS access app or something that was collecting all the data and it was scraping your phone and everyone was complaining about it. And I was just laughing, like, what app doesn't scrape your phone? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just in ticketing, it seems like we we do have a little bit of an uphill battle for a narrative. Um, but that being said, we, we have gotten better. But I, I agree. The, the problem is when we have that data, what are we what are we doing with it? And we're kind of in a tough spot because we're siloed in this large retail um, online ticketing and we have our you know, our primary and secondary, where do we kind of combine these, this digital knowledge to be able to automate some marketing and do some things that are cost effective? I mean, there are ways that we could go about it. It's, Hey, I, I yeah, it's going to be very hard to retarget and, and remarket as a primary site. Maybe we can work with the data points, um, from the secondary sites. Maybe we can share data or something to do some cost effective automation where if people hit data points, they don't just keep getting the same email blasts and pop-up ads from, you know, the StubHubs and the Vivids of the world where it's based on, you know, part your profile and, and part your past purchase history. But maybe we can combine some of those data points where, hey, they bought some of this stuff off the team and they're buying this stuff the uh, from the primary or from the secondary. And the secondary has a richer data pool, an online profile maybe we can combine those to do some automation to send some packages that that help that would help the teams and instead of always working against each other there are ways you know to kind of cost effectively do that um you know with with the teams it's just we're in a tough spot it's very expensive and then um the roi for sending out digital um pay-per-click for season tickets or retargeting i don't know if that would ever match up so it's kind of hard to to put that all together, but I think the opportunity is there. We just need to 
kind of get off our butts and get everyone together and build out that same strategy. Yeah, and this this like opens up the door to a really interesting, or I don't know if it's an interesting question. It's an observation I made from my time from my time at Intakes in January in Dallas, and mm-hmm. what it was was I discovered that, and this has been a, a kind of a key idea that I've been working on all year, which is change the the concept of change, mm-hmm. and it's not that people don't want to change. And it's not that people even know that they need to change. They, they want to, they, you know, they always want to get better. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I would almost agree that 100% of people want to improve at what they're doing, right? It's, sure. You know, and in most cases, everybody can identify at least one or two things they want to do better. The challenge comes when they don't understand how to begin the process of change. Mm-hmm. From with your background and from your point of view and from all of the experiences you have, if you were looking at the ticket industry the way you did over the course of the seven-part series um, that I'll make sure I tweet out and link to um, in the show notes, what would be three actions that people could take immediately to help them start moving in the right direction as far as um, a holistic global strategy or you know more effectively using the digital tools to market and sell? I mean, they, they don't have to be interconnected, but what are, would be three easy actions that people could begin the change and transformation project? process with well i think the first is to start with the content um understanding you know building out that digital profile which is or the digital content marketing which is um driving those online profiles that help in other ways i think that's where it gets missed is that we see engagements we see retweets we see facebook likes we see how many people viewed on youtube or visited our web pages but we're not understanding how to drive those to create online profiles, how to use content in a better way. Just because we're not getting an ROI, you do have a retail outlet that needs those. And so I think the first is kind of that content strategy that's a little bit deeper, that's understanding that people want to engage, but the type of engagement you get and the more engagement you get is helping your business in other ways. And I think that aspect gets lost. The second, and I, I touched on it, and I didn't actually touch on it a lot in the article because it got too deep into strategy, but I just touched on it a minute ago where I don't think we're working closely enough with the secondary sites, and I don't think we're working closely enough with whether it's brokers or consolidators or doing it ourselves to manage that process to help our business long term. We're using it as a retail outlet, which it is, which is fine, but I had touched on it with the automation and the data there needs to be a way to bring those together for everyone to work together, um, whether it's data sharing, whether it's working with automation, um, you, whatever that is. But there's a lot of data beyond who actually came to the game and what you bought at the game that can drive new customers. And as teams or venues or events, we just don't really have access to that data and that might even go for primary too. So ways to work with these these retail-based sites, whether it is your primary or secondary, to see how you can pull those data together to do some automation, to do some cost-effective marketing. To send, you know, There's nothing wrong with if someone buys four tickets, getting an immediate ad that says, hey, do you want to upgrade to a mini plan? Or I know you have kids. Do you want to join the kids club? But that's not happening because we don't have the online profiles combined. They're all separate. And so we're wasting a lot of potential upselling or and we're trying to handle that from inside the the sales room at the teams with some of the data 
and it's just not cost effective and it's not efficient. Um, there's automations there. And then lastly, honestly, I think the biggest thing is to take a more global look at um, y- your business. One of the things I touch on is maximize non-revenue shared seats that you have. And a lot of people don't know that concerts, um, non-manifested seats like suites, or even the concessions that are bought there, or the parking, that's not shared in most leagues. Um, either part of the revenue sharing or shared with the players as part of the revenue pool. That's operating income for your ownership. So an argument can be made that there's nothing worse than a suite that sits empty for a concert or a seat that's empty or a parking spot that's empty or a hot dog that's not bought at a concert event, a family show. That's where you're going to make your money as a as an owner, especially in arena sports and even in some of the stadiums because you're pulling in large groups. And so I think taking a more global look at your strategy and understanding that when you build your broker strategy, don't forget about concerts and suites. Don't forget about those seats, figure out how you can move tickets, work with the promoters. Um, if you start there or if you, know, you, when you start to build out that strategy, you just can't miss those revenue opportunities. So, you know, it's kind of recap content to help drive other parts of your business. Don't look for that ROI. Um, and then kind of bleed that through into using a, a strategy of retail with primary and secondary to move other products efficiently in automation. And then, you know, global aspect, look at every aspect of your business and revenue shared. Don't just worry about your team games. You have a whole list of, of events that are operating income for your comp for your team. Um, that they, they were kind of getting left, left out a lot. Yeah. Hey, the, the third one, you know, I love because I'd say every touch point, everything you do is a marketing opportunity at the mm-hmm. same point. Everything you do is an opportunity to enhance the experience for a customer or mm-hmm. give people something more. And the great thing is, is like if you do it right, you can monetize them and people will thank you for it. Right. Exactly. Now, I, I think we covered it all, Mike. Um, <laughs> I where, think so. <laughs> I think we did good. Um, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, Twitter, MJGuff. Um, or I, I do have a website, michaelguffrey.com, hard to spell, but G-U-I-F-F-R-E, but Twitter's my favorite, so look me up there. Yeah, I told, I was telling uh, Catherine the, the other night, I was like, well, if, if, if people know, don't know me, they're looking for me, like, the, trying to get me on Facebook and stuff, I was like, well, you only find me on Twitter. Twitter's the best. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I like <laughs> Yeah, I love it. Hey, Mike, man, thank you for doing this. No problem at all. Thanks for having me on again. I appreciate it. Always uh, a lot of fun. So uh, looking forward to the next one. Well, there was my conversation with Mike Guffrey. I hope you dug it. If you like what I'm doing here on the podcast, I'd love it if you send me an email. Let me know uh, future guest suggestions, uh, things you like, things you don't like, all kinds of whatever it is you think about the podcast. You send me an email at my name, Dave at DaveWakeman.com. You can find out what I'm up to by visiting me on my website. It's www.DaveWakeman.com. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, follow me on Twitter. That's at David Wakeman. That's the only outlier. And... As I've asked every episode almost, I think, here, if you know the person that has the at Dave Wakeman uh, Twitter handle, get it for me. I really would appreciate it. Um, Also, if you find something valuable here in this podcast uh, or any of the podcast episodes that I've uh, put together, I'd love it if you just take the moment to send it and share it with just one person. Um, The podcast continues to grow with each episode, and I'm so grateful. Um, But it's growing because people who are listening like you are sharing it with people that they think will gain value from it. Uh, 
So if you take a moment just to share it with one person, it would mean the world to me. Also, if you're so inclined, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. Um, you never want to miss an episode of The Business of Fun. Um, you never know who I might get. Um, I've still got some upcoming episodes with Troy Kirby, uh, Gary Adler from the NATB, um, couple of really others like surprise secret ones that are in the works that might be super awesome so you don't want to miss those um so subscribe and if you're so inclined i'd love it if you'd rate and review the podcast we're on all the major platforms now and those ratings and reviews and subscriptions really help to make sure that people discover the the podcast and that i can continue to be encouraged to deliver great content for you Uh, finally i want to thank my friends at booking protect the global leaders in refund protection for being my partner on the podcast and in so many other areas. Um, visit them at www.bookingprotect.com to find out how you and your organization can be their partners. You can use Booking Protect's world-class customer service platform to give your customers more peace of mind and a more customized buying experience. Right? Um, you can offer the opportunity for your customers to experience a partner that is a wonderful extension of your brand. Um, And maybe most importantly, you can get more money because working with Book and Protect can create a brand new revenue stream for you and your organization. So visit them at www.bookingprotect.com to find out more. Uh, You can also go back and listen to, I think it's the last episode before this one with Kath Healy. And where we talked about all kinds of stuff and about some of the things that are driving the growth, some of the things that um, they, she's learned and they've learned over the last year or so that has made Book and Protect become a more and more valuable partner to uh, businesses throughout the live entertainment and ticketing industry. So check them out at www.bookingprotect.com. And finally, I want to thank you for listening. And until next time, I'll see you soon. So take it easy. Bye-bye.